you would remain standing and open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19 down through verse 28. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you were neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord. Let's ask for help. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, as we sit under your word, would you, by your spirit, shape and mold us? Lord, as we see your splendor in the opening of this gospel, would it inform us not just about who you are, but who we are? Lord, grow us. Help us. Shape us by your gospel, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Familiarity breeds contempt. That might be an issue for us in the Gospel of John. Familiarity with John is not bad, but I, I do hope and pray that as we study this Gospel together that you'll read it. If you have some extra time, which let's face it, we all do, uh, you should just read the whole thing. Just sit down, open it, and read the whole Gospel. I hope that uh, this gospel gets into your soul and life so much so that you can't get it out. I truly hope that we'll be transformed into better witnesses of Christ ourselves as a result of time in this gospel. But let's not let familiarity mess us up. We need to be surprised by a few things. If you're thinking along a normal storyline, what, what do you think should come next in John's Gospel? He's given us this beautiful prologue with staggering words. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word spoke all things into existence. We saw that the Word brings light and life and salvation to the world. Last week we saw that the Word, this eternal Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, 
So what should come next? King, one born this vast, born as a man, flesh and blood, far from obscurity. The whole world should be anticipating this king. Like the cosmos itself should sing out and herald this king of glory. Let's let's, let's let that shock us a little bit. Who is this Jesus? John just told us incredible things that God became man, the one who made everything, every molecule in existence. He made it. He became man. And then we just kind of read on like, oh yeah, this is, we're just so familiar. We don't let it stop us. You've heard introductions of famous people before. Maybe you've been to a conference. Maybe you've heard an academic get introduced. Your favorite artist. These long introductions. Is that what we get here? No. We go from no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. We talked about that last week. Jesus exegetes God to us. And then we come to this next verse, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Isn't that odd? It's just kind of odd. We come to a small town, obscure Bethany, not that Bethany, another Bethany along the banks of the Jordan River. Meet John the Baptist, a weird guy. He wears animal skins and he eats locusts and honey. He's a throwback. What's going on by that river? Today we'll learn a good bit about John the Baptist and along the way, hopefully, something about ourselves as well. May help for us to have a bit more context. So, John the Baptist uh, has already been mentioned twice in the prologue. So, when we see him, it's like, hey guys, pay attention. There's something going on here. This is about the witness to this great king. Who the witness is not, who the witness is, and the message of this witness. That's the way we're approaching the text today. First, who the witness is not. So our section opens again with this obscure situation going on. The Jews sending priests and Levites down to the river to find out what is going on with this John the Baptist character. We have to know that this is kind of setting the tone already. The Sanhedrin, the powerful in Israel, they they carry a lot of weight. Unlike us, where religion can find its way to this obscure bubble in our life over here and not really intersect with our daily life to them, daily life was their religion. They didn't separate it. So the Sanhedrin, when you hear priests and Levites coming to ask John questions, this is a delegation. There's formality to this. It's like a congressional fact-finding committee with religious and political power and motivations, and they want to know from John, who are you? What's going on here? 
We remember that Jesus and John the Baptist have a history. We pick this up in the other Gospels. It'll be helpful to remember John leaped in his mother's womb when he heard the greeting of Mary. Do you remember that? It's beautiful. John the Baptist had this incredible ministry. Luke 1 tells us his birth narrative. You shall call his name John. He will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. His dad didn't believe he was going to be born. And so the angel struck him dumb like you're not going to gainsay me. You're not going to talk. Finally when he was born hear this pronouncement, the famous Benedictus, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Further, by this point, John had been ministering as a prophet for at least a year. When we encountered him here, he had already done a lot. Thousands were flocking to him to hear his message, and it was direct and clear. Repent. Be baptized for the remission of sins. So they come to him. Who are you? And again, with somebody so accomplished as this, we would expect a long list of accolades. Here's the chance to let them know a thing or two about who I really am. Here's the chance to have my life really put out there. Here's a chance to pay attention to my greatness. Here's a chance to, to list all my accomplishments. Who are you? Look at verse 20. He confessed. He did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. No hesitation. Three negations. Confessed. Did not deny. Confessed. I am not the Christ. What a confession of faith. We're good reformed Presbyterians. We love confessions. Here's the shortest, most succinct one. And it's great. And every single one of us should memorize it before we leave today. This should fall in your, I'm a confessor of the faith. I am not the Christ. The famous John the Baptist, utter humility. What does he mean, though, that he's not the Christ? This is the Greek translation for the word Messiah. I am not the Savior. I can't save This designation goes all the way back to the Old Testament, the anticipation of a coming king, Messiah king, who would save his people. All these people flocking to John, waiting for deliverance. They were longing for change, longing for liberation. John had been great in that movement. Yet here it comes ringingly clear, I'm not him. I am not the Christ. We could, be, we could go through that real quick in the affirmation of faith. Christian, what do you believe? 
I am not the Christ. We all need this. You and I need this. You need to know and I need to know that we are not the saviors. I did not die for you. I did not rise for your justification. And you can't for me. The elders are not the Christ, nor are the deacons, nor are the spiritual giants in our worldwide church. Not the Christ. Can you confess that? Can you mean it? You are not the anointed king. You cannot save. We look around the world and we see so much is wrong and there's so much brokenness wracked with disease, political splits. The, the church is taking L's left and right. You see hurting people. You want to do something. You want to do something about it and that's a good impulse. That's not bad, but this needs to be a huge part of your confession I am not the Christ. That is freeing. You cannot be all competent. Jesus, the Christ, is all competent. Jesus is the one who came and lived and died and rose from death. Jesus is the one who is coming back to judge and to save. Jesus is the Messiah that we need. This confession is freedom. It's freedom. Because while we may acknowledge it in our brains, sometimes we don't believe it in our heart. We, we think, no, I can fix it. I can fix you. I can fix that problem over there. And it's simply not true. He confessed. He did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. It's so freeing. We need to remind one another of this confession. 2 Corinthians 4, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Later in John's Gospel, we'll hear John the Baptist again. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. When we think we have the power to save, we're stealing glory from God. And we're putting ourselves under a weight that we cannot bear. He must increase and I must decrease. Is this the message we remember when we see someone's life is in a mess? It's a huge mess over there. Do we remember in that moment, I am not the Messiah? We look around Shreveport and identify various problems in our community. Do we think to ourselves, I am not the Christ, which would cause us, one, it would give us freedom and it would cause us to pray and to ask the Messiah for help. John the Baptist gives them this negative answer they aren't really satisfied 
Well, then you're Elijah, right? I am not. What is this business about Elijah? It's kind of odd. They, they knew that Malachi's prophecy, God had promised, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Remember, Elijah swept up in the chariot of fire. They anticipate Elijah coming back. He says, no, Jesus even identifies him with Elijah. We know the prophecies of John's birth where his ministry was going to be like the ministry of Elijah. Even these close associations, when they come to him, he's like, nope, that's not me. That's Elijah. That's a a different guy. I'm John the Baptist. They press him further. Are you the prophet? Notice the capital letter. It's kind of odd when something like that shows up. This is a formal reference. Likely to Deuteronomy 18, we hear the promise, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Again, John denies. That's not me. That's not my role. He comes with the words of God. He comes speaking truth. Yes, but he's, he's not that. That would be another. Just notice the glory in this. Deny, deny, deny. I must decrease and he must increase. Can we grasp this in terms of application? How many situations right now do you think I can fix, I can bring enough energy to bear and and fix this? I can save. I can save my wife. I can save my husband. I can rescue my kid or that friend of mine over there. Child of God, let me encourage you. Hear John say... I am not the Christ. And be set free. So this isn't good enough either. Who the witness is not is is not why they came. They, They came to say something about him. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So he's not the Christ, he's not Elijah, he's not the prophet. He should have these huge accolades hanging over. I mean, this, but listen, of Jesus said of those born of a woman, there's none greater than John. That is high praise from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And they, they, they finally cut through all of that and they say, you need to tell us who you are. And he says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice. Here's the connection to our Old Testament text, Isaiah 40. In the wilderness, prepare way of the Lord. Make straight the desert. In the desert, the highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. He's saying, that's me. And if they would have paid attention, this would have been the clue. It all would have kicked off right here, but they didn't. Because when he says who he is, he's saying there's a king coming. 
And I'm a voice all about that king. I'm a voice. A voice crying in the wilderness. The wilderness here is not some specific location. It's a barren place. It's empty. And he's saying it's time to build a highway here because there's a king coming. They should have paid attention to John closer. John affirms that greatness is coming. He's pointing to that greatness that's coming. He is not the groom. He is the best man. How awkward would it be at a wedding for the groom to to be shunted to the side and the best man to get all the attention? That's what John is saying. It's not me. I'm just a voice pointing to him. There's some nuance here in terms of lessons for us. It's not that we be self-deprecating. It's not really what John is doing. He's, He's not dismissing his role or his gifts. He's minimizing himself to make much of Jesus. He's saying this, the glory of Christ is more important than my glory. The glory of Christ matters more than me. He's decreasing. He's decreasing himself in order to make more of Jesus. And I think that's the lesson here. How are we going to make more of Christ? Using our own gifts to make him known. Who are you? If you're not all these great things, I'm just a voice. How are we going to leverage our voice for the glory of Christ? We need to know that our own lives and ministries exist to point to Christ. It is not our job in the church and the Christian's job in the community to make much of self. That's not our job. Our job is not to compete, to see how nice we can be in the community so people will think well of us. It's not our role. Our role is to make much of Jesus, His glory. Do we act certain ways to make ourselves look good and to make much of us? Or do we participate in the kingdom work of God pointing to the glory of Christ. Kevin DeYoung says, quote, the measure of our faithfulness and the degree to which ministry will be freedom for us and not a burden is the degree to which we can say, look at him. Look at Jesus. Ministering to others will become an unbearable burden if the motivation is to build up self None of us can sustain that. If being a Christian is about building up self, it's unbearable. We must decrease, and He must increase, and that is freedom. That is freedom for John the Baptist here, and that is freedom for you and me as Christians. I am not the Christ. I'm simply a voice. And I'm going to leverage my voice to point to the coming king. Lastly, what is the message of the witness? 
Still not a very satisfactory answer. Verse 24 gives more information about these people coming to interrogate John. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. We're going to see this, and you, you, you know this group from um, the other Gospels and from, from John. This is not good. This is a very devout religious sect in Israel and an exacting sect. And so they're going to have a really hard time with Jesus throughout his ministry. They're going to push back on him. This clues us in that this, uh, this innocent sounding question, this is really an interrogation. It's a trial. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. They're like, okay, man, now that we've heard your accolades and you're just a voice, why are you baptizing thousands of people? What authority do you have? Baptism was a common practice in the ancient world, especially in Judaism, signifying cleansing and purification and entry, right? But the practice also identified the one being baptized with a spiritual reality. Many of those he was baptizing were of Israel. They were Jews, and that was typically held out for Gentiles. Jews were already in, you see. So they were offended by him. They were offended that he was out there baptizing people. This frames John's answer. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He says this, my baptism is just a sign. It's just a sign. And it's pointing to a greater baptism. This is is a mind-blowing reality. He's pointing to the greater reality of baptism that is Christ himself. And he lets them know that his is just a sign pointing to the greater. John says, among you stands one you do not know. Jesus is there in the crowd, unnoticed by the Pharisees, unnoticed. This is the tie back to the the intro of this gospel, right? Among you stands one that you do not know. That the eternal logos, the, the one who spoke all things into existence could walk through a crowd and go unnoticed. He's here and you don't see him. You don't know him. The light and the glory, the word made flesh standing in the crowd among those around John at the Jordan River, utterly unnoticed. What an incredible insight and glimpse into our great God. Consider that. Obscure, unnoticed in the crowd. The only begotten Son of God. King of kings, Lord of lords. And Jesus doubles down, or John doubles down about Jesus. He says, the only one that you should, the real one that you should be worried about is not me. I'm just baptizing with water. The real one that you need to be concerned about is here. And and I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. That's weird too. 
Students in that day did everything for their masters except that. And John was not saying that, that you know, he had every right to, to do that for Jesus. He was, he was too low for that task. He's like, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to do that. That's the lowliest of service that, that you could get. And Jesus is going to demonstrate this beautifully as he washes the disciples' feet. But John says, I'm not even worthy to untie shoes. It's an incredible statement. I wonder, is this our perspective on Christ and serving him? Is it a chore or is it a privilege? John sees himself as highly privileged, pointing again and again to Jesus. Is it a privilege? Is it a privilege to serve Christ when we encourage one another in the faith? Is it a privilege to speak of Jesus to an unbelieving friend or coworker, or is it a burden? Is it a privilege to sit with a friend in grief and pain and pray for them? We find it a privilege to visit the sick in the name of Jesus. Is it a privilege to send a text of encouragement to someone that you know is hurting? Is it a privilege to seek to grow as a believer through study? Is that a privilege or is it a duty? Is it a privilege to us? Do we see it as a privilege to serve Christ? Making phone calls, being transparent with our life and pointing one another to Christ. Do we find it a great privilege to serve our King as we love friends and family, pointing one another to Him? Or is it a duty? I would say one litmus test in that is if you feel burden in that and not getting success in that, then you're not pointing to Christ, you're pointing to self. Each of these things and a thousand more are not sacrifice. They're privileges for the believer. We're brought in by Christ and honored to, to serve Him. John the Baptist, of those born among women, none greater than Him. I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes of Jesus. Is that our perspective? So what can we make of this witness of John? The good news of light is breaking into the darkness of the world. And that good news is not us. It's not us. We aren't the light. I hope and pray that we can say like John, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. We aren't the main attraction Jesus is. It is ours as servants to simply give him all the attention, to point to his beauty and his greatness. It is ours to remember this great confession of faith. Confess. Do not deny, but confess. I am not the Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, your word. May this be our confession. May we decrease in Jesus. May you increase. 
shape us, mold us in this confession. Let us point to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.